Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond that military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of their business, and lessons learned. Joy can override the worries and depression. Here are your hosts, Cynthia Kao and Josh Carter. Welcome, everybody, to the Veteran Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Carter. Cynthia is out this week. If you are new to the program, welcome. Every episode, we get to talk to amazing people in the entrepreneurial world, and they just have extra things on their resume like service to our country. In this episode, I'm really excited because we get retired Army Colonel Rob Campbell to the program. Welcome, sir. Thanks, Josh. Good to be here with you. Really good to be here. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm you know Navy vet, so you know this December we'll see. You guys have been really good in the football game, by the way, <laughs> lately. You know, yeah, let's not go down that road. Huh? Yeah, except for the 11 years prior. But yes, I had, uh, <laughs> digression is is definitely. So uh, let's talk a little bit. Like I mentioned, you're an Army vet. Um, what was the process for you? The mindset, like why the Army? What what made you decide that was the right path for you? It was a complete accident. I um, went into college in 1986 after high school, and I was a basketball fanatic. I played on nice. the team, and uh, I didn't have any left hand, though. Of course, I should have realized that that would be a problem for me at some point, right? Yeah. So I, um, I tried out for the college team freshman year and got cut. Didn't make it. Oh wow! So, so there goes that uh, passion, you know, you know, screeching halt right there. Right. So okay, okay, now what? Yeah. Um, and then at the same time, I ran out of money and the uh, Massachusetts Army National Guard was offering big bonuses, you know, pay for your education, all that. I was always very independent. So my dad was a reservist. I said, all right, I'll give it a shot. There were no wars going on. So 1980s. Right. And so I thought that'd be a nice second, you know, income and something to do. And that's really was the gist of it. And off I went to basic training summer of 87. Wow. And that's when I discovered it. Yeah. You know what? I kind of like this. Um, the challenge, the teamwork, the ability to lead. I guess I always had that in me, that leader, right? I never really knew it formally, but the Army brought all that out. Yeah. And and very shortly after, it, it became my passion. It's okay, I'm going to get my degree, and this is what I want to do. So I got into ROTC, got commissioned as an officer, and started my on my way, 1990, never looked back. Wow. When you went into boot camp, what, if anything, surprised you about it? Did you go in with sort of open mind and not really expecting much, or or what, what if anything, surprised you? Hmm. Um, I, I, I don't know if surprise is the right word, but I was a bit selfish growing up. Um, and, you know, I was spoiled. I had everything, and, you know, my parents, we, we grew up in the Reagan years. You know, the economy was great, and so it was, it was a lot about me. I wasn't completely selfish, but it was a, a bit of a slap in the face when you get into an organization where, no, it ain't about you. It's about the greater team here. It's about sacrificing for others. And so that was a big wake-up call for me as I wanted to base trying to see that, no, I was serving a cause bigger than myself, and it wasn't. it was about the team and the mission and not about my personal needs. Yeah. And when you got in, what did you want to do versus what you ended up doing? Hmm. <laughs> um, well, I I, uh, I was an infantry officer, and I, I had looked at other branches because I mean, in, in infantry stuff, you know, <laughs> I mean, you're on the ground and it's it's rough, and yeah. all that goes with being an infantry officer. Um, so I looked at some other branches, but I just kind of uh, stayed with infantry. I guess I was too dumb to leave, and uh, and kept going through it. 
I, uh, I wanted to lead, you know, I wanted a chance to be a platoon leader. I wanted a chance to be a company commander. I didn't see much further beyond that, mm. um, in terms of desires. But as I got into these things and did them, a lot of them scared the hell out of me. And then as I did them, it came out the other end. Okay. That wasn't so bad. I went through that. I matured. I could do this next thing. Sure. So it was just a constant, you know, going through these gates, proving myself, uh, being challenged, uh, that just kind of kept me going. So I, I guess, and I never had the intentions of being a career officer. I mean, I was served 27 plus years. Um, and I, I never did, but I just kept going because I enjoyed it. And I was always looking forward to the next challenge and I was gaining experience and I had something to give at each level. So, um, the, the army served me well. Yeah. As you got into the next level, as you mentioned, you know, you were just kind of going through and getting to the next level, level and next level. How did that change your mindset of the, of serving? You know, when you, when you're down here at the bottom rung, I was an yep. E3. So I was the bottom rung, right? Sure. As you, as you progress up and up and up, how did it change your mindset as you progress through the officer ranks of yeah. the army? No, it's a great question. Um, and it's, it's when you become a professional, and there's some reading to this. You know, you could really get in and, and study. Okay, well, what is that? Well, that moment that you become a professional. Uh, with it comes maturity, obviously. You know, as a young officer, as an E3, like you were. You know, we're, we're very young, very immature. We're always looking up saying, you know, these people are losing their minds. And, you know, we think we can fix a lot of things. But as we get up in rank like that, and we start to, we, we get exposed wider to the greater Navy, the greater Army. Um, that's when I really became or professional where, and what happened is that it, and I really, I got a sense of why the army values were the way they were and why, uh, and what the institution was all about uh, outside of my own platoon, my own company, I was able to see from wider perspective. Um, I was a, uh, a general officer's aide de camp as a captain and man, you want to talk about, you know, exposure at that level to a guy, a very senior, um, you know, leader in the institution really opened my aperture. And so it was probably around the seven or eight year mark, I think maybe six or seven year mark where I started to get it. The stuff started to make more sense to me. And I, and I realized there was a bigger world out there. There was a bigger army out there for me. And, and I don't know that I woke up on any given day and say, poof, I'm a professional now, but it was just that maturity level that, that happened. And I got this, a sense of the bigger picture and it, it matured me quite a bit. Yeah. We talk a lot about on this program, all the different experiences that we have when we serve things that maybe pe people outside the military don't really understand. What right. are some of those experiences that you look back on and you went, man, I can't believe I would have never gotten that opportunity outside of the army. Like what are some of those experiences, whether it's professional development or yeah. a, a particular incident that, that was that inflection point for you yeah uh well there were countless in terms of dealing with people sure. and I, I certainly would have dealt with people on the outside but um maybe not the same way as in the military where lives were at stake mm -hmm. uh it was a very serious profession so there was this um motivation there's this uh this tendency this this pressure i should say to to really step up and lead well because you know whatever you got wrong in training you know, would result in, in uh, catastrophe on the battlefield. And so uh, given a lot of opportunities there, I think one of the bigger, one of the bigger ones is, is the level of responsibility yeah. 
that I was given. I've had the good fortune over the last five years to look under the hood of a lot of different companies. And the the responsibility we give to a young 20-year-old, 20-something-year-old is enormous compared to what what they get in in a private sector. So it really wakens it wakens you, and it puts that weight on your shoulders, uh, and and you grow and mature so much faster because of those responsibilities that are placed on you. So yeah, when I was placed in charge of those men and all that equipment, and I was signing on documents of you know hundreds and thousands of dollars of stuff, it um, it really grew me up quick, and it, and it was unique, I think, to the military. The last thing is. Uh, the opportunity for professional development. And this is the great benefit of the military and and why I think we veterans have a a great advantage, I should say, over our non-veteran counterparts is because the Army can afford to pull me out of my company and send me away for a year to go, you know, get schooled on history and leadership and think about things, do some introspection, and then come back and, and serve in another company and do that. You can't do that in the private sector. They couldn't afford to do that. So, that was a great benefit I had was being able to go off into these schoolhouses and be around other leaders like me, some very smart men and women uh, where I could learn and grow. You reached what a lot of officers try to get to, right? You obtained that colonel, yeah. which is a huge milestone in your career. Looking yeah. back over your extensive uh, professional career there, what was probably the most proudest that you were throughout that whole time? Hmm. It all. Um, my pride is is centered around the the command positions that I held. Um, they're precious and fleeting. You know, they don't last forever. Uh, you get two years, and and two years goes by quick. But I mean, certainly as a platoon leader and a captain, you know, this is all pro before nine eleven. But commanding uh, a battalion of uh, about four hundred men and women in Afghanistan, and then commanding a brigade, a portion of which I took back to Afghanistan. Um, were amazing experiences for me, things that I cherished um, that really grew me in so many ways and and were just, I mean, it, I still, to the day, can't believe that I commanded a brigade in the 101st Airborne Division. I mean, I used to walk in that building every day as it's, you know, uh, it's its highest ranking member into my office, like humbled by all the people that had stood before me. So it was all those command experiences that really stick out. Yeah. What, what, if anything surprised you throughout your career that you go back and you say, man, I was not expecting to do that or expecting to reach that sort of whatever it was. Yeah. I had an awakening, Josh, and I didn't see it coming. And frankly, I, I don't know that I recognized it until uh, later, maybe even in retirement as I, as I reflect back on my career, I joined a Cold War army, uh, which fought very scientifically, right? The battlefield was this linear uh, space where there was the forward lines and the rear lines, and you brought enemy into these, you know, kill sacks and kill zones. And uh, the timing was, you know, all synchronized and you brought all the weapons to bear at the right moment and everything's very, very scientific. Mm-hmm. That was hard for me because mm-hmm. I'm more of an artist. And I had to work extra hard in those years. And I never really thought that I was that great at it. I saw others that could really master that skill of the science of warfare. Well, 
9-11 happens, we get thrust into Iraq and Afghanistan. And now we're into this, okay, the battlefield is not linear. The enemy is ill-defined. Uh, what we learned, you know, in, in, in terms of fighting the Soviet Union, the Russians years ago in the Cold War does not apply here. And that allowed me to be more of an entrepreneur, if you will, an artist, to kind of get a, a blank canvas and sketch things and change things a little bit. And I flourished in that environment. And that was really the biggest thing for me was the, the transition between those, those two things. And it happened as a lieutenant colonel mm. uh, in my, my year, two years in Alaska, commanding at the time, where I really became a counterinsurgent and, and pushed the Cold War uh, warrior stuff aside. And yeah, I, I think I thrived in that. And maybe that's what allowed me to gain in rank and get the positions that I had is because I, I, I immersed in that kind of stuff and became really good at it. Yeah. The military is not really known for being able to adapt quickly to things, right? I no. mean, we're talking as an organization, maybe within units pretty easily, but, but mm -hmm. it, as far as the, the branch itself, they, they tended not be able to, to transition very quickly onto something. How True. hard was that? If you, if you really had this, you have this amazing entrepreneurial mind, like how hard was it to adapt to some of the stuff and how does, how has that changed your operating skill set now that you're a civilian? Yeah, it was very hard. And you said that very well, that, that you know, at the, at the lower level, at the unit level, you can pivot and you can be uh, somewhat creative and entrepreneurial at the bigger levels, less so, because, right. you know, at the end of the day, the military is a big bureaucracy and bureaucracies uh, do what they always do, regardless of the situation. Um, I had to I, I had to let go of things, Josh. I had to swallow hard a few times that, you know, where. I knew it needed to be changed, but I also knew there was some organizational inertia that I would just, I just couldn't overcome. And so I had to find the best way. I really had to come, okay, what could I do? What small thing could I do? What, what do I control and what do I not control? And I have to think about those things more formally and, and gain some level of peace uh, to be able to chip away at things. It has helped me in my life. Uh, to know that I can't get the full enchilada, right? Mm -hmm. I might not be able to consume the whole meal. Maybe I just get the salad, some beans, and, you know, one slice of steak, and that's it, right? That's where I got to. But that's okay. That moves the ball down the field a little bit. I can live with that. So it, I guess it hardened me a bit uh, in terms of navigating the planet because you can't just go out there every day and get exactly what you want. Uh, though you can see right, right in front of you, you know what the right answer is. You, you got to navigate the system and the system is big and bad and, and, and hard to get around some days. Yeah. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about, you know, you're retired, obviously. When mm -hmm. did you know your time in the army was at an end and how did you prepare for that? <laughs> yeah. How much time do we have? Um, <laughs> so it, I, I always had a sense that you know, I, I never really saw myself as, as a career officer. I mean, I know this sounds hypocritical because I did 27 years, Yeah. but I just took an assignment by assignment. And I was so fortunate to get the rank and the positions and the assignments that I had. But I was never, I guess I, was, I, I never identified completely with being an army colonel. Mm -hmm. I wore the rank, very proud of it. I upheld it well, I like to think. And, uh, but, but I was Rob Campbell at the end of the day. And I knew there was something else out there. My wife had to help me pull that out because it was always in me, but I was institutionalized after 27 years. And in, in, in so being, I was there to answer the Army's call. Where's my next set of orders? What do you need me next? What do you need me to do? And not question any of that. 
And I, I, you know, when I got out of brigade command, after brigade command, I went to my final assignment. I didn't have intentions of leaving. I kind of wanted to see what was next. Maybe I get a chance to pin on a star. Um, I knew that I didn't want that life. Uh, I had seen what general officers went through. And look, there's some great general officers out here. I don't want to be a general officer basher or to sit here and say that, yeah, I would have been a shoe in but I chose not to, right? It's very, very difficult promotion. But I knew deep down that's not what I wanted to do. Again, I was very entrepreneurial. My wife and I were excited. Our, our youngest had graduated high school, so we're semi-empty nesters. And we now have the ability to take off on a new path, which really excited me. So it was that time after Brigade Command where I got into that final assignment. And I had some quality time with my wife after a combat tour to really start talking about these things deeper and looking deep inside of me and, and asking some hard questions and answering them. And, and that's where we decided, yeah, let's let's take off on this next path. Nice. You've uh, you've written some books. Talk, yep. talk about uh, the books. Like what what about writing for you helps you in your professional? Now you're a speaker, you're a life coach, but how how have these books helped sort of forge a path into those that that yeah. those uh, that career? Yeah, it's artwork for me. Um, you know, let's so let's say I've always been a painter, right? But in the army, I just could never have the time to paint. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I didn't have the time to write in the army. I was so busy, I couldn't right. sit down and crank out a book. Um, but I always enjoyed expressing myself and telling a story through writing. It's artwork for me, and it's it's incredibly fulfilling. Uh, when I retired, I didn't I didn't have books in mind. It wasn't a goal of mine necessarily. I did want to do some smaller writing, maybe some articles and editorials and things. But I stumbled into writing where I, I met a guy at a at an entrepreneurship conference that had written a book in a hundred days. And you know, if I'm sitting next to him, it's my guy. This guy's a machine. Uh, and it pissed me off. I've been surrounded by terrorists, right? I could do that. Let me show you. So I wrote mine in 90. But I, um, it was just kind of stumbling into the book writing thing. And I'm stubborn. And I get an idea in my head. You know, I will get it done. It's, it's going to happen come hell or high water. So I had nothing but time on my hands because I decided to take a year off after I retired. My wife was working. So it was me and the cat and my computer. And I was just cranking out the book every day. And there were days I couldn't get through a sentence. Other days, it just flowed out of me. And I had a great team around me, my publisher and a writer coach and all that kind of helped me get over that hump. And, and so I got book one cranked out. Again, no you know, aspirations to write another one. But then I had another one in mind about veteran transition. The first was on leadership because I was traveling this transition journey and learning things along the way. And I wanted to get that on paper. It was very, I think, therapeutic for me in many ways. And then the last piece of this is is... Seth Godin, which I subscribed to his blog. I mean, the stuff that he talks about and puts out is just really is brilliant. The guy's gifted. I think he's an alien. But I um I was listening to a speech of his and he talked about uh he was talking about writing with somebody. And he he said, well, what he said, and I, I don't I forget the exact topic, but he said, you have to decide like a runner. Okay, if you decide, okay, I'm a runner, therefore I must run. So you get up in the morning and you go run. And that really spoke to me. And I said, okay, well, I'm a writer. That's what I do. So therefore, I must get up and write. So I blog three days a week. Hmm. And it's the first activity of my day at 5 a.m., Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And it's, it's a wonderful way to start the day. Uh, and so I made that decision that, that I'm going to write. And I've got, gosh, at least three more books in me. One of them wow. is underway right now. So it's just the ability. And that's what speaking is for me. Speaking is artwork. I get to write and create words and stories that really hammer home a point. So it's all centered around writing. Yeah. You got into consulting and I'm really curious, mm -hmm. what was that decision for you and how did you know 
who your customer was going to be ultimately like, and then how did you reach that cut those customers? Yeah. So I, um, when I was writing the first book on leadership, I had a bit of an awakening there to say, okay, wait a minute. I could sell this. I could speak on it. I'm bringing three decades of leadership. I've had, I've had some successes that I could share and some failures. I can write about this. I could consult on it. I know operations. I understand what makes people tick. And, and I know businesses need that desperately. So that was it, right? And then um, I took this thing called the gateway drug. And the gateway drug is this, Josh. You you get a website, a tax ID number, and a business card, and you think you're in business. <laughs> you're not in business. All you have is an idea because mm -hmm. nobody knows who you are. So right. this is spring of 2017. Oh, wow. My first customer wasn't until January of 18. Oh, wow. It took that long because nobody knew me. And I, I didn't know who my customer was. I didn't neck that down. I didn't create that avatar and do all those things that entrepreneurs do because I didn't know entrepreneurship. But I've learned so much along the way. Yeah. What's the parallel? We, you know, we spend a lot of time, obviously, this whole podcast is really veteran entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. But what do you think makes a good entrepreneur uh, when they, they have the background that you, you have, like what, what is that yeah. characteristic that, that common yeah. thread? Yeah, I have a, uh, I, I speak about this. I've got a, um, a, a speech called uh, entrepreneurship from the trenches. And one of the slides in there, does a comparison between veterans and non-veterans. And I talk about the strengths and weaknesses because we both bring strengths and weaknesses into the, into the venture. My point with the slide is that we really ought to come together, veterans and non-veterans, in an entrepreneurial journey because we both bring things yeah. to that venture. Um, I can problem solve. Um, I can, you know, I, I can deal with, I can lead, I can form a team, I can motivate people, I can get them behind a cause. Um, I'm selfless. Uh, I, I'm not a nine to five guy. It's really about getting the mission complete, whatever it takes. Mm -hmm. And that's all things that is, are required in entrepreneurship. I can withstand hardship. I can knuckle down when, when things get real and, and get them going and see through, see through things. Um, what I don't have is I don't have the language of entrepreneurship, especially if you're freshly transitioned. We don't speak, you know, cap raise, runway, burn rate, um, you know, pro forma. We don't use those words in the military. So it's right. foreign language. Yeah. Um, the other thing is we don't necessarily have the network and the experience in a lot of these industries. So if I'm going to coach pharmaceutical people, that's great. I can coach them from a leader standpoint, but I don't have a sense of what they do in their profession mm -hmm. or the, the language of it, the nuances of it. That's a challenge, right? Non-veterans bring in that network. They have more business acumen than we do. Even if they just worked in a company, they understand cash flow better than we do in the military because we've been operating off of a blank check, mm -hmm. you know, since 9-11. We don't understand money. Right. Um, it's just a foreign concept, but it's central in a business. So there are some parallels when you start to look at the two and what we as veterans bring. I, I believe that veterans are well-suited to be entrepreneurs because when you look at entrepreneurship failures, a uh, lot that I have seen stem back to uh, the, the inability to lead and inability to problem solve, to build a team, to get people galvanized behind an idea. Mm -hmm. What, if anything, and well, I, I'll phrase this a different way. Entrepreneurs mm -hmm. fail all the time, right? We, we do something, we screw something up. What along your journey, whether it was in the army or your transition, what do you think is the most pivotal, critical failure, failure that you've experienced that you learn the most from? Mm. That's a tough one, right? Because I mean, as I look back, I, I can always look back on things and say, yeah, I should have done that different. 
um, in terms of failure, but but God, I learned from it, you know, and and I don't think I would be where I'm at now had I not made that decision, even as ugly as it might have been. Um, Gosh, it's hard, Josh. I don't necessarily call this a catastrophic failure, but when my wife and I transitioned out in 2016, uh, we had this sense of entitlement and emotions washing over us because the army had told us where we were going to live all these years, yeah. uh, where we were going to go all these years. Well, now it was our turn. And by God, we were going to make that call, right? It was going to be ours. And so we rushed to the coast of North Carolina, which we love and still love. Um, and we bought a house, you know, and dropped a big anchor, as I say, because uh, we planted ourselves permanently in this community. And what we discovered was it wasn't a community that we really liked. Hmm. <clears throat> nice to vacation in, but not to live. But again, I love the place and I don't have massive regrets over it. But looking back, uh, I should have pushed those emotions aside and maybe been wise enough to know that, hey, look, this is brand new. And things are going to look different. You'll feel different. You'll go through some changes. Wouldn't it be nice if you could course correct easier than being anchored down by a house? So we probably should have rented and kind of felt out the community a bit and see how it was. It'd been a little bit more patient in terms of navigating this next space because we ended up moving four times in five years, (laughs) you know, and I think we're in a good place now, but, um, but again, I'm, I'm renting right now. And so I'm, I'm flexible. So really, I think the error was that the emotions and the entitlement as we came out yeah. and, you know, we snapped the chalk line and, and bought that house and anchored ourselves down. Well, you bring up a good point, right? We, and we've, we've brought this point up numerous times in this podcast. So people, when I say this, people of the podcast who have heard me say this, have heard me say it a few times. There's a parallel between people that have been incarcerated for a number of years and people that have mm-hmm. been in the military for a number of years. When you meet a veteran for the first time, there's a question that is very similar to somebody that's been incarcerated for a number of years. And that question is, how long were you in? Right. And so there's that parallel. And because of that parallel, there are certain characteristics that are the same. So, you know, really hard to transition into things where now suddenly you make all the decisions for everything that affects you versus somebody that wakes you up and sets your schedule or sets where you're going to go every day. So, Talk a little bit about that transition for you because it's a little different experience for you because in the officer's side of things, you know, it's, it's a different experience. Whereas mm-hmm. when I was in E3, right, I had three hots in a cot and somebody sure. told me where to go. How is that transition for you different? How did you feel like it was different? It, um, it, it was stressful. It was, it's traumatic. Yeah. I mean, I, I call transition traumatic because it absolutely is. And there are parallels. You're absolutely right between yeah. someone that served a sentence and then someone that served in the military. How long were you in? I was institutionalized in something. Yeah. Uh, I submit it doesn't take that long. Maybe institutionalized is a strong word for somebody that's only done a handful of years, but you still become part of something bigger yeah. than yourself. And these values and this lifestyle and the rank and the language all get infused into you. Well, 27 years of that, what happens is. A friend of mine shared this with me, and it's a little scientific, but the neurons in your brain, it's like a well-worn stream that they travel, and it's easy because you know I could go from base to base to base, know what to speak for language, know who wore what rank, who was in what units, who did what. It was easy for me to navigate that space. Now, all of a sudden, I'm on the outside. I'm not wearing rank anymore. Nobody calls me by that. I can't use the language I once used 
and I can do anything I want. I'm not beholden to the army that was, you know, I, I was accountable to 24-7. So my brain's working harder. And that manifests in stress and depression. Sure. Of which I've experienced both, not to a, a grand scale. I've done fine. I'm thankful for my my wife, my partner. And but but it's working harder to navigate this space, to alter your language, to alter your behavior, to know that people aren't going to stand up in a room when you walk in. That, you know, I got to be waiting in line with Joss, just like anybody else for donuts, you know. <laughs> so it's just it's just caused me to yeah. to I guess work a little harder, you know, mentally in some cases, just just mentally through those spaces. And and the thing that gets me the most is I, I'm I'm a very selfless person. I was selfless to a T in the military because that's what the military demanded of me. And when I see selfishness on the outside, oh man, it really irks me. It, it just it really sets me off almost to the point where I got to go home and talk about you know talk it out with the wife and. <laughs> You know, and beat my head against the wall a while. So, so yeah, that's what transition was for me and so many others that yeah. go through that. Yeah, yeah. When you're sitting down with an entrepreneur and you're coaching them, mm-hmm. what are some things that you're looking for? You you talk about you've seen the selfishness out in the in the you know, civilian life. What are some things that you really spend your first moments with an entrepreneur on, and make sure that it's just driven into their head? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I want to see the commitment. I yeah. mean, if you're going to do this, if you're going to jump into the trench of entrepreneurship, you got to commit. Uh, but I also want to make sure they're not committed to a fault, right? Where they do see the reality of this, because a lot of, you know, most most entrepreneurs just have this startup idea. And, and it's too bad, actually, because there's so many paths in entrepreneurship, franchise, by existing business, so many directions you can take. But we just got our blinders on to this startup thing. And there are times, especially in a startup venture, where it's like, hey, let's 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 stop, right? Because we, we don't use the quit word, the military, but it's, you know, sometimes in a business, that's the wisest decision you can make. Yeah. You know, instead of miring yourself in something, you just won't be able to get yourself out of and just screwing people over, including yourself. So I want to see the commitment, but I want to make sure that they're not emotionally attached to this. They're not completely in love with their plan. They're willing to explore and learn and, and see things a little bit. Um, certainly looking for maturity. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to take that. I think, you know, and, and, and you know, the ability to, to handle one's emotions because it's going to be rough. It's going to be ups and downs. And the last thing is um, not, not the last there's several, but one of the, the last thing I'll mention here is I want to make sure there's passion alignment. You know, I want to open a coffee shop. Okay. Why do you want to open a coffee shop? Well, I can make a lot of money. No, what I'm looking for is I, I just love coffee. I adore it. I know how it's brewed. I know everything about it. I've sampled all these things. I've got a collection at home. Okay. Now, now you're telling me that, yeah, this is something you would want to get out of bed and do every day. Yeah. Right. And not someone that just sees a dollar sign. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. It's tough, right? I, you know, I've, I've run accelerator programs and you're right. I, I think anytime you're thinking about a business, you're married to that idea, right? So to your point, yeah. You're going to spend the next 10 years doing something. Do you want to really jump into something that you don't enjoy waking up doing for the next 10 years? It's a good point. Looking back over your career and now being a civilian, what's the one thing you would go back and say, hey, Rob, you're going to do this. You should really learn to do this. Like, What is some early advice Mm -hmm. you would have given yourself looking back on, on everything you've accomplished? Yeah. 
Well, a couple of things, and and to redirect the question maybe a little bit is, you know, what would I tell the younger Rob, you know, at the age of 20 or 25 or something like that? I, I would tell him to relax um, and, and be patient and, you know, you'll get through it. Uh, and it's not helpful to freak out over things. And, you know, frankly, it's not going to be that hard. Um, I would, uh, I think I probably would have uh, started networking earlier and I, and I wouldn't have, um, you know, kind of close myself off from the rest of society. I would have, I would have done more to, um, you know, build that bridge and have it stronger for the moment that I stepped out. So I had a better sense of what was happening because it was a, it was an awakening. And what I realized when I got out shortly after was just how vast a world it was out there and just how small the military was. You know, you think about, you know, your occupational skill in the Navy, and your rank, and that small group is a tiny microcosm of the Navy writ large or the military Department of Defense. And then also society. It's just this little tiny thing. But now you get out there in this vast ocean. Um, I think I would have invested more time and in, in to get to know it a little bit better and, and kind of it's like prepping for combat, you know, same kind of energy to, to dump into that transition. I might have slowed it a little bit. I mean, I had retirement orders in January. I was out by August hmm. uh, and that was fast and there was no need to speed it up. Maybe I should have waited another year or so or just, just really taking my time and, and explored some things, dip my toe in some places. Yeah. 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 That's great. I, you have two books like we talked about at ease, enjoying mm -hmm. your freedom you fought for and it's personal, not personnel uh, leadership lessons for the battlefield in the boardroom of those two books. What do you think? you learned about yourself doing this because it is such, it's a hard, first of all, it's a hard thing to sit down and just write a book. Like that's sure. a really difficult thing, but what did you learn about yourself going through this process of writing a book and, and, and yeah. sharing things And some of these books, like you share some pretty personal things. What did you learn about yourself? Um, a couple things. Uh, I learned that I was a writer I, and I wouldn't have said that and that I'm an artist. I do it through the keyboard versus a, a paintbrush. Um, one of the awakenings I had, because I've had a lot, huh? Um, <laughs> my wife told me to read the book uh, uh, Big Magic mm. by Elizabeth Gilbert, the E. Pray Love Lady. It's like, oh, wait a minute, I'm an, I'm an Army Ranger. I don't read E. Pray Love stuff, right? But she was, you know, like, like always, she was on to something. And she told me to read that book, and I did. And it, uh, it awakened me to the fact that I wrote those books for myself. Mm. And that's okay. Right. Uh, and, and it is OK. I mean, when I wrote them, I had other people in mind. I, I was foremost in my mind when I was writing, things, writing these things. But the first one on leadership was really just kind of processing all that had just happened. Because I had some successes in brigade command and I thought they were valuable to the business world. And it was really a wonderful journey to kind of get all that on paper and reflect back on it and look at it. Somebody had, had read the book and said that, hey, man, I wish I had this before I took command or became the CEO of, of, you know, of this company. And I said, yeah, I wish I had it, too. I mean, I had never thought that deeply about leadership. And so um, I, I learned that about myself. The second one was uh, was therapeutic in, in that I was describing the journey. So I think I learned that I'm a good storyteller. And that um, I can actually, you know, I can craft a pretty good paragraph and that I really do enjoy writing and that it is uh, somewhat of oxygen for me um, that I didn't realize. And and I learned the last thing is, it, is I really learned was what I'm really passionate about. 
and what I love doing and what's going to motivate me to get out of bed because, you know, the next chapter after the military ought to be better than the last. Hmm. And, and I see too many veterans believing that their best days are behind them. I mean, we did some amazing things. We ought to be proud of that and cherish every moment that we had, but the next chapter ought to be better. And so writing for me has just allowed me to have a great next chapter and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful I'm able to do it. Yeah. It's amazing. Rob, where can people find you online? Uh, two places. LinkedIn is where I spend most of my time on the social media side, Rob Campbell Leadership on LinkedIn. And then my website, robcampbellleadership.com, three L's. Um, pretty active there. You can get a hold of me. You can see my blogs and sign up for my blogs, which I email three days a week. Um, I get a lot of good feedback on them. It's just a lot of fun writing about them. Uh, yeah, those are the two places. Rob, it's been so much fun getting to know you. Congrats on all your success. And uh, yeah, let, let us know where we can be helpful. Very good. Hey, great questions today, Josh. Enjoy oh. the discussion. Yeah, no, it's been a lot of fun. Guys, thank you for listening. Tune in every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific. Listen, learn, get shit done. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.